In the name of our Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. There's one thing that we can all be absolutely certain about, and that is that death will come to each one of us unless Jesus comes before. And since no one knows when that day and hour will be, it would be baseless pride for any of us to assume that we won't die. And we know why death comes, too. It's because, like all the others, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. Our sin, just like the sin of everyone else, causes a division between ourselves and God. We've made ourselves His enemies and made ourselves deserving of His wrath. There's no use denying that because God in His Word has said it in so many places that sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so also death spread to all people because all sinned. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Death, you understand, is not just part of life. It's not some mystery that we need to strive to find meaning in. Death is nothing but the punishment for sin. And each time we witness it or feel its icy touch, we remember that we have sinned. But just as certain as death is the fact that Jesus himself has died in our place, and because of that death, his blood covers us. The outpouring of that is nothing but God's grace. God, because he is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And this is true also because God's word says it in so many places. For if the many died by the trespass of this one man, it is even more certain that God's grace and the gift given by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're therefore called out of this death by grace. And that grace is delivered to us in the packages of God's word and his sacraments. And we're called into lives of faith and love. Since we live in this life of temptation... With so many enemies surrounding us, we hold on to this grace, holding on to the Word of God, holding it on our lips, because it provides us rescue from danger. The Gospel says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that word then links this account to what just happened beforehand, and that's that Jesus had just been baptized. And immediately after his baptism, he went out to be tempted. As Christians, we who have been baptized and adopted into the family of God, our lives are lives of temptation. We often look at baptism as the start of our Christian life, and we do this each time we confess our sins and receive absolution or forgiveness, because you were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And whenever your pastor declares your sins forgiven, he will use those same words 
which tell you that your forgiveness does not depend upon your confession or upon your pastor. It depends upon the authority of God, who has already claimed you as his child, and his promise in baptism is never lost. Likewise, when you were confirmed, you were confirmed in the faith of your baptism. That baptism faith has confirmation now that you are in it. It's like you say on your confirmation day, I now have learned the meaning of the faith that I received when I was baptized, and I confess, yes, I do believe this. See, confirmation isn't something new. It's a confirmation of what you already have. And therefore, each day of the Christian life is a renewal of that same faith. When you wake up and pray to your Lord, or when you sit down to a meal and pray to Him, or when you pray before going to bed, you pray for the very blessings that you received in baptism. And you pray that they are renewed for you again. The grace and forgiveness and protection and salvation of God. And each week when you come to the divine service, you seek those same things here. It's so necessary that we should receive them often. At the end of Luther's small catechism, he included a section called Christian Questions and Answers, which essentially are your confirmation examination all over again. They're designed for a Christian to read over and over again each time he is going to go and receive the sacrament of the altar. Twenty questions. And at first they deal with the basics of our faith, the fact that we are sinners deserving of death, but also redeemed and given the salvation of Christ. We confess in those questions who Jesus is, and also what he gives us in the sacrament of the altar, his body, born of Mary, and his blood, shed on the cross, given in the bread and the wine, along with forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Would you please turn to page 39 in the front part of your hymnary. The last of these questions are on page 39. I want to look at the last few of them together. We'll start on page 39 with, with question number 19. I'll read the question and I ask you to read along with the answer with me. Question number 19. What should admonish and incite a Christian to receive the sacrament frequently? Answer, in respect to God, both the command and the promise of Christ the Lord should move him, and in respect to himself, the trouble that lies heavy on him, on account of which such command, encouragement, and promise are given. So that is to say that Jesus told us to take the sacrament, and he's also promised us forgiveness, life, and salvation in the sacrament. And what's more, we also have so much trouble in this life. And we have the cure there in that sacrament. Sin is that trouble, and we need forgiveness for it. Death is that trouble, and we need life for it. The temptations and attacks of the devil are that trouble, and we need salvation from it. St. Paul told the Christians, At all times hold up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. But remember once again that faith isn't just a nice word to hang on your wall. Faith means something. It's connected to something. It's faith that is connected to Christ that prevails. And that sort of faith is not something that we can come up with because we're the man overboard. 
We're drowning in the stormy water by nature. The lifesaver has to come to us from the ship. You see, we entered that ship, that ship of life, by baptism. But each time we fall into temptation, each time we succumb to the devil's very convincing arguments, we fall overboard. But we're drawn back in to that same ship through the forgiveness of sins, through the word, and, very importantly, through the sacrament. Now look at question number 20, and this is one of my favorites. But what shall a person do if he is not aware of such trouble and feels no hunger and thirst for the sacrament? Answer, to such a person no better advice can be given than that in the first place he put his hand into his bosom and feel whether he still have flesh and blood and that he by all means believe what the scriptures say of it in Galatians 5 and Romans 7. Secondly, that he look around to see whether he is still in the world and keep in mind that there will be no lack of sin and trouble as the scriptures say in John 15 and 16, 1 John 2 and 5. Thirdly, he will certainly have the devil also about him who with his lying and murdering day and night will let him have no peace within or without as the scriptures picture him in John 8 and 16, 1 Peter 5, Ephesians 6, 2 Timothy 2. So our flesh is always acting contrary to the will of God. The world is always driving us away from God. The devil is always tempting us away from God. All of this is written against sinful pride, which masquerades as holiness, like the Pharisee who boasted that he was greater than the tax collector. Never believe that you can handle this warfare. Never believe that simply because you are baptized and confirmed or that you are a member of this church or that church that you don't need ongoing, continual nourishment. After all, who is it that fights this battle? If it were up to us, we've already lost. But see how Jesus fights for us. The devil launches a volley here in this text at him, and he can only do this because Jesus has taken on human flesh. He's entered the battlefield. He's a target. If the devil can take down Jesus, he knows, then he's taken down all human flesh. But what protects Jesus here? It is written, it is written, it is written. God's word is written to show us our enemy. And this is something that question 20 points out very well. Your sinful flesh is exposed by God's word. The wickedness and temptation of the world is displayed by God's word. The truth about the devil is made all too clear by the word. In warfare, that's an important rule. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. God's word shows you the enemy and it shows you yourself. Yourself as both enemy and as redeemed child of God. This word and the sacrament provide you also life amid death. I'd like to look backwards now to question number 18 there on page 39. Question number 18. Finally, why do you wish to go to the sacrament? Answer, 
that I may learn to believe that Jesus died for my sin out of great love, as before said, and that I may also learn of him to love God and my neighbor. Notice in Jesus' temptation, the devil came to him after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. We're beginning the season of Lent, this 40-day fast, until Easter. Jesus' fast was supernaturally enabled. If you or I tried to go completely without food, we wouldn't last more than a couple of weeks. But we do still fast. A fast is nothing else than removing food for the flesh in order to emphasize food for the soul. A traditional fast means giving up a meal, one of the three square ones of the day, and replacing that meal with a time for devotion. Now, you might have a practice of giving something up for Lent. In our churches, for the season of Lent, we fast from the joyful alleluias and from the gloria and excelsis, joyful songs that are indeed good for the soul. But we give them up in favor of focus on the one thing needful. The point is, as Jesus told the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So no, you don't have to do any sort of Lenten fast. We're not in the business of making laws where God has not made laws. But God does in his word command you, I tell you, do not resist an evildoer, but if someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you to take away your shirt, give him your coat too. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Giving things up. And in the fruit and the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk in step with it. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So in a very real sense, the Christian life is to be a life of fasting and temptation until the feast of salvation in heaven. Consider how St. Paul tells us to fast. Everything is permitted, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permitted, but not everything builds up. Let no one seek his own good, but that of others. We have life because of Christ, and we are also able to live because of Christ. Jesus told Satan again, you shall not test the Lord your God. You have faith, but that doesn't mean that you are entitled to define this religion to God. You cannot think of better commands or better means of grace. Depart from what he gives you to your own peril. In this life of fasting and temptation, our hunger is not ignored by God. That's why he feeds us so abundantly with his own son's flesh and blood shed on the cross. You'll notice that in our Lenten fast, we still enjoy this feast laid before you on the altar. And as I've said, we don't call it the first Sunday of Lent, but the first Sunday in Lent, because Sunday is Easter Every Sunday is Easter. And so in that sense, we've already come through all the fasting. The feast is already prepared for us. We have the victory for ourselves, but we do still wait. 
we wait for the culmination of that feast in the heavenly banquet halls. The feast we have now, while truly giving us Jesus' own body and blood and the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, it's all preparing us for eternity. The last thing Jesus told the devil in this text was, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. There are many things in this life that seek our attention. And according to our vocations, we should give those things attention, such as our jobs, our families, our country. But you'll notice that this is all defined by our vocations. And a vocation is a calling. And to be called, there has to be a voice that calls. And that voice needs a person behind it. That person is God. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That doesn't mean lock yourself away in a monastery and don't read any book but the Bible. It means that your whole life is defined by God. And Jesus would say to the faithful on the last day, Amen, I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Live in love, therefore. Love isn't something that we get to define, because God is love. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love comes to you by His Word, speaking Jesus to you, fending off the devil, remaking your sinful flesh into glorified flesh. And His love comes to you in the sacrament of this feast of love. For the atoning sacrifice of your sins is given to you as food for this long, long journey. It's a difficult journey. And it's difficult for each one of us, and perhaps in different ways. So we are given to one another by God. We are a gift of love to one another from God. And remember who defines that love? And show what God wants you to show to your fellow Christians. As St. Paul said, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the household of faith. By so doing, no, we don't earn ourselves better seats in heaven. We already have been gifted a seat by the Son of God, Jesus, who fought that battle and won. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection has provided that for us. So instead, because we have this promised place. We joyfully give up what we have in service to God and in service to our neighbors. If we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, how much might your brother or sister in faith be? And of such, Jesus promises, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen.